Amen. Hey, can we thank God one more time for everything he's done this morning already? So good. I was told uh, by our sound guy, Jay, that if I clapped today at all during my message, I had to do it behind my back like this. So if you see that, don't be alarmed. I'm just getting excited. But uh, my name is Bryce. I'm our pastoral intern here. I've had the privilege of meeting most of everyone in this room. But if I haven't, I'd love to say hi to you after the service. You're watching online today. We're excited that you're tuning in from who knows where, uh, maybe all across the world. And we're very, very excited about that, that God can be in multiple places at once. Now, as that bumper video showed, we're talking about the Trinity today. But before we get to the Trinity, before we get to anything else in the message, I want to give a birthday shout out, if that's okay, to a guy who's in the room today. His name's Ethan Swords. He's up there working in our production booth. Can we give a hand to Ethan and the whole team up there? Ethan, uh, Ethan and I have close birthdays. Mine's on Saturday. His is today. And so he was, uh, he was telling me a little bit about what he's doing today for his birthday. And he sent me this list of about 70 or 80 um, restaurants that he's compiled over the years that you can get something free on your birthday. So if anybody wants that, you just let me know and I'll send it to you. Um, it's like, I don't know how you're going to visit all those in one year, but okay, you do you. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to celebrate him today. I'm excited that we've already this morning celebrated the amount of uh, talent that we've got at this church. As was just displayed, we can honestly just go home. Like we don't even need a sermon today. We can just go ahead and go home after that piano performance. I told nine o'clock crowd that um, if I were to do what was just done, it would not sound like a joyful noise to anybody. But thankfully, Hyung Jung is much better than me. And we are excited uh, to have her on, on our team as well. But as I said, we're talking about the Trinity today. Now the Trinity is a concept, as Pastor Jeff said a moment ago, that uh, has a lot within it. And there, there, there have been tons of volumes of books written by scholars over the years to try to unpack all that the Trinity is. And we decided we're going to do it in three weeks, and it's going to be fantastic. Um, but today we're talking about one of those members of the Trinity, the Father in particular. When I was at CIU, uh, I took a theology class that was required by all the students at CIU. And it was my junior or senior year that I took this class in particular, and we spent about two weeks talking about the Trinity, and we broke it down just like we will in this series, read some cool things on the Trinity, had some awesome discussion about some of the mystery behind the Trinity. And one day after class, my friends and I went to the student center, a lot of students will hang out there, and we were sitting around in a circle. We were debriefing what was talked about that day in class, and it was pretty serious for most of the time that we were there, but then one of my friends stopped the conversation. He said, listen, Bryce, i got to ask this. If you had to choose one member of the Trinity, who's your favorite? And I said, what are you talking about? You're asking me to choose between God, God, and ready for it, God. I'm like, I can't do that. So I didn't feel too comfortable with that question, but he kept persisting and persisting. No, no, you got to choose one who's your favorite. I said, it's the Holy Spirit. And he said, why is it the Holy Spirit? And my answer to him was something along the lines of, I love how the Holy Spirit will just captivate people and it will energize people, it'll, it'll excite people. And so if you see me jumping around, start doing push-ups on stage or something like that, it's the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. I had a gentleman come up to me after last time I preached in the auditorium and he said, Bryce, if I had to describe your preaching style, I finally landed on it. It is Methecostal. That's what it is. A little bit of Methodist. A little too much of Pentecostal. I love it. It's awesome. But uh, so, so we're excited to talk about the Father this morning. I was told by Trevor, I want you to teach on the Father. And I want you to do it uh, with me. He's over in the other room in about 35 minutes. And so we are excited to unpack um, all that is within the Father uh, concept within the Trinity in 35 minutes. But we're excited to do so nonetheless. There's one statement that I want to make this morning before we go any further. And this one statement, if you miss everything else said about the Father this morning, I believe that it is the one thing God needs us to hold on to. 
as we exit later. Just one thing. And it's this statement. The Father's heart for his children, that's all of us, is one of sacrificial love. The Father's heart for his children is one of sacrificial love. And I believe that a lot of different scriptures could prove it to you, but there's one in particular I want us to start with. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 John. This is uh, towards the end of all of scripture. It's right before the book of Revelation. There's a few letters that John writes. This is one of them. And we're going to read from 1 John chapter 3, one verse in particular. It's the first verse of chapter 3. The words will be on the screen as well if you'd like to read them from there. Here's what the Bible has to say. Therefore, I believe, is true. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. See how very much, not just a little bit, no, 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 very much the Father loves us. That he's willing, even amidst our sin and our past struggles, even amidst our present temptations, to call us his children. That's the God we serve, and that's the God we're speaking about this morning specifically in terms of how he reveals himself as a father, a heavenly father. But before we jump into talking about our heavenly father in depth, I don't want to move past a possible reality today. That maybe there's someone here today, whether you're in the room here at Mount Horb or whether you're in another room watching online, that has a distorted view of their heavenly father because of their earthly father. Maybe when you think about your relationship with your father in heaven, it mirrors in a negative sense your relationship with your earthly one. Maybe you think of abuse. You think of anger that's uncontrollable. You think of shame. You think of guilt that you feel and can't figure out why. I'm here to let you know before we go any further that those words aren't in the vocabulary of our Heavenly Father. They're not in the personality of our Heavenly Father. As that one verse already encapsulates for us, our Father wants to show His children today who He actually is, and who He actually is, is a Father of sacrificial love. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful in this place to be talking about You. We're thankful we can do it freely. We're thankful that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we're thankful that this morning we can see the Trinity at work in tandem with one another. God, we thank you for everything that you have already planned on doing this morning that you intend to accomplish one way or another. And so I pray that we would merely be your vessels. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to comprehend and hearts to receive and feet to put them into action. We're believing in faith that you're gonna teach us something new, something we need to be reminded of maybe this morning, straight from your word. And because it's from your word, we can receive it as the ultimate authority and as the ultimate source of truth. We give the honor, praise, and glory that you alone are worthy of in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Trinity, as I've already mentioned, has a lot within it. The Trinity has three distinct members. It's a concept that we pull from Scripture showing how God is one, represented, revealed in three And throughout this series, we want to talk about how all of that can be seen in Scripture. Also, how does it apply to our life? And so before we go further with just the Father, I would love to talk a little bit about where the Trinity came from. You see, regardless of what translation you read from in your Bible, you won't find the word Trinity anywhere in there. 
Instead, it's a concept that we see in Scripture. In the year 325 A.D., this was about 300 years after Christ came and did what he did here on earth and was resurrected and back in heaven as he is right now at the right hand of the Father. 300 years later, at 325, there was this council that met. It's the Council of Nicaea. That's actually where our Nicene Creed that we just recited together came from. And this council decided on a few different church doctrines. There was debate within this council. Up until this council meeting, there was heavy debate around this concept of the Trinity. What do we do with the fact that when we read Scripture, we see God revealing himself in more than one way? A Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. And that's where we land on Trinity. That's where the word comes from. In a few moments, we'll show a picture on the screen. It's probably one you've seen before of this triangular relationship within the Trinity. That three distinct persons make up one God. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. We know what the Trinity is, at least in its simplest sense. There's still tons of mystery behind it. We've had thousands of analogies thrown out in our world to try to comprehend all that is within the Trinity. How they work in tandem with one another. How God does what he does. But this morning, we're talking specifically about God revealing himself through a father. And specifically that when he does reveal himself as a father, it's a loving father. And under that umbrella of the word love, of that phrase sacrificial love, I believe there's four things that scripture points to very clearly that God wants to teach us this morning when we think about him as our heavenly father in relation to us as his children. So if you're taking notes, I'd highly recommend that you like, write these down. There's only four of them. And the first one is this, participation. The father's heart for his children is participation. If you've still got your Bible open, I want you to go with me somewhere to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is at the very beginning of Scripture. It is the second book in your Bible. And in Exodus chapter 3, we land at a story about this guy named Moses. Now, you may have heard of Moses before. He did absolutely incredible things for God. He was obedient to God, but it didn't start out that way. You see, Moses tried to put up a fight against the call that he had received from God, which we're going to read about in a moment. And where we pick up in the story is right when God is giving Moses his call. Moses, this is what I want you to go and do with your life. And here's what the Bible says, starting in verse 7 of chapter 3. Then the Lord told him, that's Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. I want to pause here because there's a common phrase that we just saw on the screens, that we just saw in Scripture. And it's two words. I have. I have. I have seen the oppression. I have come down to rescue my people. You see, before God goes any further with Moses' call, maybe you've experienced this too, I know I have, God wanted to make it clear to Moses, before I tell you what you're going to do for me in my kingdom, what you're going to do with your life, I want to let you know that every bit of it that you do, it's actually my power that enables you to do it. God's the one that says, I've seen the oppression. I have plans to rescue I also have power to make it happen. But then we pick up in verse 9, and here's what God says as he goes on. He says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians are abusing them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. 
And you, Moses, must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Did you see the shift that took place? God wanted to lay a foundation just like he does for us as our father, as his children. He wants to lay a foundation this morning saying, regardless of what I'm going to call you to do, I need you to understand the prerequisite to that calling is you come to a comprehension, a knowledge that I am the one with the power. That's why scripture makes it clear that we actually have no room to boast. We actually just sang about that a few moments ago. There's actually no room to boast where God's power is. God's the one with the power. God's the one with the plan. God's the one with the purpose. But oftentimes, God's provision for his people comes through his people's participation. It's something I have experienced in my own life. It's a call that I've received from God, and I answered it. I'll never forget the day, actually, when, when that happened. It was an actual phone call when I was at Newberry College, and I was walking back from class one day, and I saw that an unknown number that I didn't have saved in my phone that had an 803 at the beginning of it was calling. And so I slid the phone, and I, I opened it and, and listened to whoever was on the other end of the, the phone call. And the voice said, hey, Bryce, this is Pastor Jeff from Mount Horeb. I know that you and I probably haven't had a chance to officially meet, but I want you to know that myself and Pastor Trevor and some of our other staff, we've been watching you as you've kind of come through our high school program in the youth ministry. And we believe that you've got a call to ministry on your life. And so if you're willing, we want to help you kind of figure out what that looks like for you. We want to walk alongside you to figure that out every step of the way. Now, in this moment, I was overjoyed. It's like, that's awesome. I got no clue what I'm getting myself into. I have no clue what that even means. I've never even met this guy, Pastor Jeff. I love his preaching. But when I came back that next weekend... From Newberry, he and I met, and we talked about his role in ministry, how God's called him, and obviously God's done incredible things in and through his faithfulness. And so we, we were able to have that dialogue, but along the way, to, from back then to where I am right now, there have been bumps in the road. And each of those bumps I would define as one thing in particular, a protest, a doubt, a disqualification in my own head. It's actually the same thing that happens to Moses. I was in a coffee shop the other day, and I was typing some of this out for this sermon, and I, I stopped at verse 10, which we just read. And I planned on ending right there at verse 10, presenting everything and then keep on moving. And I felt the Holy Spirit stop me, as he often does. Maybe you've felt this before. And I felt like God was posing me one question. Bryce, what usually gets in the way in your story, in the stories of many other of my children, what usually gets in the way of my people participating in my purposes. And it's another P word, protest. Verse 11 shows us that's exactly what Moses did. He says, but Moses protested to God. Who am I to be appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people Israel out of Egypt? In fact, in, in chapter four, just one chapter later, we read about tons and tons of statements just like this, where Moses is saying, I don't think I'm good enough to do what you're calling me to do. I think you've got it wrong because God, just to remind you, I know me better than you know me. How many times have we said that? I know I've been guilty on more times than I can count. It's an invitation into participation. And I just wonder how many of us have been stuck on the sideline in our faith. We've made a determination to separate our faith life and the rest of our life. And so when it comes to our faith life, we are in the game on Sundays, but that's it. And the rest of the week, we sit on the sideline 
and we watch others be used by God. And we like how it looks. It's awesome how it looks, but we don't believe within ourselves that God could ever use us because of a lot of different things. Our brokenness, our pain in the past, our frustrations right now in the present. I'm here to let you know that we serve an invitational God in more than one way. And one of the ways that we serve an invitational God is when it comes to our role in his purpose, when it comes to our participation. How easy it would have been for me while I'm on the phone with Pastor Jeff to pull the phone away in frustration, hit the red button that said end call, and who knows where I'd be. But I was willing to receive the call and at least begin walking it out. And I didn't see where it was going to take me. I didn't see what lied on the other side of the hills I was walking up. I, I didn't see, and Moses didn't see. Moses had no clue what he was getting himself into. But he had to come to a conclusion inside himself that I'm willing to trust that God's got the power. And I believe that the reason, one of the reasons... God's desire is for his children to participate is because he knows that if he can get collectively a whole church, maybe even here at Mount Horeb, to participate in their role in building the kingdom of God here on earth, he knows that what will overflow from that is something that our world is searching for, and that's unity. I believe the body of Christ, individual churches like this one, are meant to be a picture to the rest of the world for what unity looks like. David talks about this, actually. In Psalm 133, verse 1, here's what David says. He says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Other translations say harmony with one another. In unity. When I was in sermon prep on Tuesday, our team got together and we were discussing a little bit about this sermon. We debriefed last week. We talked about the future weeks. And Pastor Chad brought something unique up. He said, Bryce, when you talk about unity, you should mention what I like to call the law of two. It's actually the thing that our world presents to us most often. And the law of two, to put it in simplest terms, goes something like this. You need to be focused, put all your stock in, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat. You either need to put all your hope in the fact that you're vaccinated or if you choose to be unvaccinated. You also need to only hang out with white people or only hang out with black people. That's the law of two. And what the law of two likes to do is create division. And I believe that if we were to take a moment and we were to look behind the curtain to see how the devil is working in our world, but more specifically, how the devil is even working with inside churches, within the body of Christ, I think one of the biggest things that we would be able to recognize is that he is seeking to create division where there is meant to be unity. And if I'm honest, he's been pretty successful recently. We see it on social media. We can exit this place, leave these walls, and we'd see it. That there is division in our world, yes, that's existed for a while. But now, slowly but surely, there's beginning to be division within the body of Christ. It's the law of two. But then Chad said, what you need to present is the law of three. Because the law of three gives us something better. There's a picture I'll show you on the screen of what the law of three is supposed to look like. You see, this is the Trinity right here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What you'll notice about this diagram, maybe you've seen one similar before, is the words is. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But what's unique about this diagram 
are the words on the outside of the triangle, is not. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. Yet, they all work as God. They're all God. But they're three distinct persons. I believe that this is a beautiful picture of what unity within the body of Christ is actually supposed to look like. Because here's when disunity and division comes. When we care more about our roles than our goals. That's when division comes. You see, each of these three members of the Trinity have the exact same goal. One of them is stated very clearly in Matthew 28. It's the words of Jesus to his disciples right before he leaves this earth and goes back to heaven. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely, I'm going to be with you until the very end of the age. That's one of many goals. That's a foundational goal that I believe each and every one of those members of the Trinity has because it's the heart of God. And I believe that the Father's heart for his people is to mirror this picture, to work together to accomplish similar goals. And if we're able to lay a foundation today to say these are the goals that we want to accomplish, the reason Mount Horeb has been successful, if I could just tell you this, the reason I've seen Mount Horeb be effective for the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God is because we've collectively not come into a setting like this and say, I want to do it my way. A Pastor Jeff figure has says, I'm going to put a team around me because I believe that when I have a team around me, we're going to work in unity and we will reach even more people. That is one example of many that I've seen firsthand of unity. It's the Father's heart. It's under the umbrella of love, sacrificial love, but it's, it's unity. I believe that God's desire is for the body of Christ, us, these people, myself included, online in this room, to be unified, to not act off of the law of two, but to act off of the law of three. But then comes another segment of the Father's heart. It's a very important one as well. It's not just about participation. It's not just about unity, but it's also refuge. Refuge. I believe that the Bible makes it really clear that there's actually only one place that we could possibly run to and actually be safe and actually find refuge, and that's God himself. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Pastor Jeff referenced it earlier about prayer. But when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. There's a clear focus within Scripture on our prayer life. And I think one of the reasons that is is because prayer is extremely powerful in the sense that it gives us an intimate connection with our father. The Bible makes it clear you pray to your father, and when you do, he already knows what's on your heart before you even open your mouth, so you might as well talk to him about it. And you ask him for things, you thank him for things, and it creates this intimate relationship that mirrors the Trinity, creates unity, allows you to participate, and shows you that the only place you could possibly find refuge, possibly find safety in a chaotic world that we all know exists, is in God himself. David says it differently. He says it in Psalm 91, 1 through 2. Here's what he says. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. Here it is. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. He alone 
is my refuge. And in order for a place or a person to be our refuge, it requires us to spend quality time with them all the time. They're our favorite person to be around. They're the person we run to just like the prodigal son when we don't know where else to turn. That's God's desire. That's the Father's desire presented all throughout Scripture in tons of different ways, presented even today, that I want to be your place of refuge. But the way in which we get caught up and we don't run to the Father in refuge is when we would rather do something for God than spend time with God. If there's one thing that I could choose to stand on this stage right now and tell you that I have struggled with all my life, it is that sentence. I would so much rather do something for God than spend with God sometimes. I remember very clearly there have been multiple occasions where I've preached right here at Mount Horeb. And I was so much more willing throughout that whole week to spend 30 to 45 minutes of preparation in an hour that I had on a 30 to 45 minute presentation, a sermon. I was so much more willing to do that than I was to simply sit down with this book and say, God, if I'm not right with you, there's really no point in me getting a microphone and getting on any stage. It's a temptation. And maybe it's not just me who has that temptation. Chances are your story doesn't look like mine in terms of what you're called to do, but the goal should be the same. The person who called you, it's the same. And so maybe you feel that same tug, that same temptation. I would rather do the things that are asked of me in my job, even if they're glorifying God himself, than simply sit down with his word and say, God, I am starting off my day just like this. Pastor Jeff said a few weeks ago that research has shown that the first eight minutes of someone's day determines the whole course of their day. And I wonder how many times in my life, maybe you can relate, where I chose not to pick this book up for the first minutes, but instead I picked this device up and I started scrolling. Maybe I started even posting spiritual, influential, biblical things on Instagram and on Facebook and on YouTube. And and I was reading the right things, but I wasn't sitting with the right book. I wasn't experiencing intimate communion with, with my Heavenly Father. And there was a few months ago where I had to come to that harsh reality. I came to it in a way that today I'm grateful for, but in the moment I wasn't too happy about. I remember I was awoken at 3 a.m. That usually doesn't happen. Um, I don't set my alarm for 3 a.m. Maybe some of y'all do, and that's okay. I'm not going to judge you for it. Uh, but I, uh, I was awoken around 3 a.m., and I was in tears. That you know doesn't happen to me usually, so I was kind of distraught, and I, I, I started to think about the dream I just had. And to this day, I still believe it was a dream that God gave me for a very good purpose. And and in this dream, essentially what happened was um, there was was this figure who said he was Jesus, and he, he, he was coming back a second time. And he was standing right in front of me just like this. And in the dream, I was my age. I was in my season of life. And I remember Jesus reaching out his hand. He said, Bryce, I'm here. It's time to go. And I remember I looked at him, and I said, Jesus, I don't think I can go yet. And he asked me why. I said, because there are several different things that I believe you've called me to do in ministry that I haven't been able to do yet. There are several different things that I've got on my list that I haven't accomplished yet. And so in the dream, I turned around and I walked away. And that's when I woke up. 
And the reason I was so distraught, the reason I was in tears when I woke up was because I realized for the first time in my life that I had decided within myself that ministry was an idol. Ministry was more important than the one providing the ministry. I had decided to make a list every single day, and though I told people God was at the top, it actually was ministry that was at the top. Maybe for you it's not ministry, like it is for me. Maybe it's, it's not really in, in, involved in a church setting day to day, but maybe for you, you've got an idol in your life that maybe this is the first moment you're willing to confront. The Holy Spirit's stirring something in you right now, and he's trying to help you understand there's something above me on the list, which is honestly why I told this to our contemporary crowd a few months ago. This is honestly why I was challenged a few years ago to stop putting God at the top of the list. Instead, what I want you to do, Bryce, is I want you to make God, allow God to make the list. That's a a whole different ballgame. It's a different concept. Instead of putting God at the top of the list where he could easily be moved to second place, Allow God to make the list. Because when you allow God to make a priority list, even if it's for a 24-hour agenda that you have, when you allow God to make your list, all the priorities on the list will reflect the God who made it. And ultimately what you'll find is that slowly but surely, whenever trouble comes, because we're promised that trouble will come, whenever suffering comes, because we're promised suffering will come, whenever we feel persecuted, wherever we do not know where to turn, we will subconsciously be able to say, God, I might as well turn to you because there is nowhere else that has proven to me that it's worthy of my worship, that it's worthy of running to. And he will become your place of refuge, just like he did for me. It's a daily decision to run back to the Father with open arms regardless of the season you're in. As we said at the beginning, the overarching goal this morning, I believe, is that the Father wants to show you that his heart for his children is one of sacrificial love. And there's one verse in Scripture that I'd love for us to end with. It's probably the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. It's one of my favorites. It's John 3.16. And maybe you've read this verse more times than you can count. I know I have. Here's what John says. Here's what Jesus says in John's gospel. For this is how God loved the world. He's speaking about himself here. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Now, I want us to leave that up on the screen for a moment because the other day I was reading through this verse. I stumbled upon it, didn't plan on using it at all. I stumbled upon this verse once again that I had highlighted about 17 times in my Bible. And, um, and there's this one phrase, this one line in this verse that, uh, though I've read over many times, it jumped off the page at me in a brand new way. And it's this line right here. He gave, talking about the Father, he gave his one and only Son, talking about Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The Father gave his one and only Son. The reason that is so impactful today is because the Father decided that it is worth it for me to give up my one and only capital S, Son, in order for me to have a chance to get children into my family, to invite the people I created back into my family. I believe that's what this scripture verse is all about. 
Many of us know the gospel story. Many of us know that Jesus came and he died for our sins and he got on a cross to do it and then he was resurrected three days later. But all of that was done for a specific purpose. He understood his role. His role looked different than the Holy Spirit's role looks today. His role looked different than the Father's role looked. The Father said, I'm going to send the Son. The Son said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. They're working in tandem with one another, but the gospel message is very, very simple. I loved you enough, regardless of what the world tells you, to send the only thing I have. Send my own son, the person that is me in the flesh, to send him so that I could get you back into my family where you belong. I believe that's the message at its core. That's the message of that one verse. That's the message, regardless of any other thing we've said today, that's the message. The father's heart for his children is one of sacrificial love. He loves you enough to ask you, invite you to participate, even amidst your sin, even amidst my sin. He's also a God who loves you enough to show you a beautiful picture of unity right there on the screen so that we may mirror it with one another and show the world what unity actually looks like. He's also a God who loves us enough to create a space for us to run back into, just like the prodigal son who straight away who went off and did his own thing and then said, there's no way that my father would want me back. But I've got to at least try. I don't know where else to turn. And what he wasn't expecting is what he saw. And his father was just like this, opening his arms just like this. As he is today, I promise you, this is the posture that God's taking in this very moment. He wants you back. And he's created a space for you to run to. I believe that is the role of our heavenly father. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father. And this morning, I don't want us to miss a moment that maybe the Holy Spirit's role right now is He's stirring something in you. And you've been playing the church game. And you've been coming. You've been giving your tithes and offerings. You've been putting your hands up in the air to worship. But there's still a God-shaped void that only He can fill. I don't want to move out of this moment I don't want to give you an opportunity to just delegate that feeling to something natural. I want us to sit here for a moment. I want us to actually get back to intimacy with our Heavenly Father, myself included. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? We're going to spend a moment in prayer. And before I lead us, I want you to spend just a few moments on your own, you and God, that's it, just you and Him. Maybe this is the first time in as long as you can remember that you actually talked to your Heavenly Father. That's okay. He loved you enough to create that space right now. Regardless of what's on your heart, regardless of what's on your mind, regardless of the season you are in, I believe the Father wants to hear from you. Father, in this moment, we are reminded of many different examples that you give us in Scripture of what the best decision is we could make. I think of Mary and Martha, where one of those two sisters was making tons of preparation for you to roll up onto the scene in their house. But Lord, you made it so clear that Mary's choice was far better, and she, she simply chose to sit at your feet. 
to be in an intimate relationship with you. To have communion with you through prayer, through speaking to you about what's on our heart. And we thank you for the fact that you've created that space for us right now in this very moment. In fact, we can pray to you wherever, whenever, about anything. So Lord, in this very moment, I pray for that person who feels the stirring. They feel the Holy Spirit working and they know that a decision is needed in their life regardless of what the decision is. Maybe for that person, it's, it's a decision to step over the line and actually become a follower of Jesus Christ to leave the world behind and do it your way. Maybe the decision is different. Maybe it's more of a prodigal son type of decision where they, they've strayed away and it's time to run back to where they once were. Maybe for them, it's a decision to, maybe for the first time, open their eyes that have been blind. And they see just how thin that the veil is between the natural humanistic world and the spiritual realm. We believe that you are here right now. We believe that you've shown up today. And where you are, the devil has no power. We thank you that you're opening blind eyes today. We thank you for the gospel message which is made so clear throughout all the members of the Trinity and their roles. And Father, we're grateful that you've made a way where there was no way through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to get your children back. We pray that as we close in worship, we would run into your open, loving arms, believing that you're our only place of true safety and refuge. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.